When on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters, so you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer-dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer-dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Monday morning, post Golden Globes. How you feeling? You know, I always feel good a Monday morning after an award show. I know. And so do I. Although I will tell you, when I woke up this morning, I really missed going to the studio because I remember that when we would come in to record after an award show, the energy in that room was almost electric. And it was bringing me back to, I think it was the Met Gala when we went in around 1030 at night and we just went on the mic and gave our initial reactions. Do you remember how exhilarating that was? I know it's a small thing, but we were so happy. Yeah, that was like one of my favorite nights. Also, we specifically love the Met Gala so much. So to be able to go in at 1030 at night, it felt like such a special experience for us to be able to have. I know. We'll we'll get back to that. I, I have faith. I hope so. I also just want to tell you, my gut feeling is that our discussion slash analysis on the Billie Eilish documentary is going to be lengthy. And I'm not mad about that. Not at all. I have a lot to say, and I would imagine you do as well. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Okay. So as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a black owned business. And this week the handles at shop Samaria Leah. I actually found this brand the first time because Dorothy Wang posted the jeans with the Zodiac sign on them. And then um, one of our listeners fine was also talking to us about it. But basically this woman, Samaria Leah has this collection of curated vintage denim and full transparency. I haven't ordered a pair yet just because I get sometimes a little bit weary with ordering denim online, but I know that's not the same for everyone. This stuff is really, really cool. I'm going to put all the information as always in the description because I think you guys will really like this brand. Okay, Julie, you ready? I'm ready. So let's start it off with the Golden Globes, which of course we will not be able to cover everything. But a general thought that I kind of just wanted to give is that as I was watching this, I was thinking that of course, because of COVID, so definitely the last year, but even before then, I felt that there really has almost been this kind of collective decline about public interest in award shows. And as much as I enjoyed last night, and I'm very excited to talk about it, I really felt it last night, more so than some of the other award shows that have happened during COVID. I don't know if that was just a me thing. No, it's not just a you thing. I definitely felt it too. COVID plays a huge, huge role in that for me, but it is a conversation that we've been having a lot prior to COVID. But something that last night kind of reminded me of, like even amidst this like kind of negative energy around the show is that like, there's always going to be an element for me, at least of award shows that will always be special. Like the star power, the red carpet, 
the fashion, people winning for the first time, people getting celebrated, like that will always be special to me. And it will always specifically be nostalgic to me because I grew up on that. So I'm really excited for award shows to be post pandemic, even if they're not the same as it was when we were growing up. Yes. And I just want to say, because I think this is a good time to mention this, obviously, as you all know, the Hollywood Foreign Press consists of 87 members and there is not a single black member. And that was really evident when it came to the nominations because there were a lot of snubs that I think, and was kind of the public opinion that could be chalked up to having such a lack of diversity in terms of the individuals making the decisions. And something that I am hopeful for is that post-COVID, when there is this inevitable revamp of award shows, I really do hope that diversity plays a huge role in that because I think that in itself will contribute to a resurgence of public excitement when there is just more representation. It's too important for that not to change. Absolutely. I could not agree more. A question for you that I had is a lot of times I feel like in interviews, we are asked about this concept of quote, celebrity being dead. And we say, or I think kind of our thought on it is that it's not that the idea of celebrity is dead. It's just that it's changing and evolving. And I feel like at least I am hopeful that that idea of award shows in terms of the importance will also start to change as the structure of it, not only from the diversity element, but other things and the way that it's done changes. Do you think there's any truth to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we want from our celebrities and what we expect from our celebrities is evolving and changing and award shows are going to have to constantly be able to reflect that. But at the same time, I'm never going to, you know, buy into the camp that the idea of celebrity is dead, which is something that a lot of people like truly believe for us and what we do. That's a ridiculous statement and we hope it's not true. But also I think that especially during a time like the pandemic and like with everything going on, there is an element of escapism that celebrity inherently brings that is so important and that I wouldn't want to lose. And I think there's an element of connection. You're all talking about the same people. So it is so nice to go online during an award show, even if the award show isn't great, and see everybody all talking about the same thing, praising the same looks, talking about the same awkward moments. Like That will always, always be special to me. And I think that if we didn't have that, a lot of people would truly miss it more than they think they would. No, I, I think that there's truth in that as well. Also, last night, of course, because of COVID, you know, everything had to be limited. And I thought it was special how they had the room and the audience filled with frontline workers, which clearly was the right thing to do. I will say, though, something that I did miss in a pre-COVID world was I don't think I acknowledged previously how much I appreciated the art of the camera pan, because how many times were there moments where you wanted to see what other celebrities were reacting Oh, so many times. I mean, we've gotten so many iconic moments just because of camera pans to the audience. Think about the Madonna Britney Spears kiss panning to Justin Timberlake in the audience. That's something all of us remember so vividly. For example, last night, I would have done anything after Jason Sudeikis won to be able to have the camera pan to Olivia Wilde in the audience. Yes, Julie. And let me take you a step further. Imagine Olivia brought Harry and the camera pans to both of them, which... I'm sure it would be nothing but pure class and they would be very celebratory, but I would really do sick shit to witness that. Oh, I would too. That's also an element of award shows you lose during a pandemic, not having a red carpet or a real red carpet is there are so many couples that make their red carpet debut and they confirm relationships that way. And we haven't gotten that in so, so long. We haven't. Not only 
it's not only the confirmation because that definitely happens, but also the couples that it's really just their first public outing. So they've confirmed it, but you've never really gotten to see them in such a public setting that isn't a paparazzi shot. So that I would have missed. Like, let's say a Florence Pugh, Zach Braff, or even not that they would have necessarily been there, but um, Anina Dobrev and Sean White. Those are ones that I would have loved to see. Yeah, me too. I mean, listen, that's another huge element of losing the audience is that a part of award shows like this, or maybe even one of the biggest parts of it is the fact that you have all of these mega celebrities in one room. And it's almost unfathomable to think about how much talent and how much prestige is all in the same room. And that only happens a couple of times a year. No, it's very true. Okay. Let's get into the actual night. I first just want to say Tina Fey and Amy Poehler knocked it out of the park. I'm never not going to love that duo hosting. Me too. I really love them. They, there's no one funnier to me. And also goes on the same page of nostalgic feeling because remember they host the Golden Globes 2012, 2013, 2014. So it does bring you back to that feeling to see them up there, even though it wasn't what it was normally. Also, I really don't think that I would have known that Tina was in New York and Amy was in LA unless they made it known. I thought that the camera work for that was pretty effortless. Yeah, they did a really good job. There was a couple of moments and you could definitely see a split screen, but I was shocked with how seamless it was. Yeah. Okay. Red carpet wise, let's just go through some of our favorites because there were a lot of good ones. I think maybe topping the charts, we can do top three after, but Anya Taylor-Joy in that emerald green Dior with the platinum blonde pin straight hair, killer. To die for. And you know, I'm in such a green phase right now. That was that could have been like from the start, my very favorite look of the night. Cynthia Revo and that green Valentino with the beige gloves. That was also, she kills it every single time. Every single time. And you know what? I wasn't going to bring this up, but I feel like I have to. That's the energy I want to get from Margot Robbie. <laughs> oh God. You, I, you know what? I, I don't have to say anymore. I'm not going to get into it. But that energy of somebody who walks in and kills it every single time and takes your breath away with what they're wearing, that's what I want from her. And no. I never get it. I know. I agree with you. It's it's a it's a tragedy really because Margot Robbie is one of the most stunning individuals I think I have ever laid my eyes on. And it's not that her fashion is terrible, but it just is always a little bit underwhelming. And what could be done is the world is her oyster. Exactly. Exactly. Personally, I think if somebody said to me, you have to choose right now, who's your number one best dress, you can only choose one. I think it would be Amanda Seyfried in that Oscar de la Renta off the shoulder floral peach. She looked amazing. You know who else was up there for me? Elle Fanning. She looked incredible. Angela Bassett in that purple Dolce & Gabbana. Can we talk about Angela Bassett for a second? She's 62 years old. 62. Are you kidding me? There were a lot of good ones. Kaylee Cuoco in that Oscar de la Renta I thought was exceptional. Oh my God. We can't have a we can't have a red carpet moment and not talk about Brad Goreski's work. Kaylee Cuoco looked amazing. I also, to be honest with you, not that I necessarily thought that she was gonna win for the flight attendant, but I loved that show so much. And I feel like something that happened with her was because of her role of Big Bang Theory, which really did, I think, people associate her the most to Penny that I think this was such an important role for her because it took out that association. Not that the association was negative, but now there is this other role that I think people can look to more recently. Yeah. When you've played a role for so long, it's hard to step out of that. And I really love Kaylee Cuoco. I think she's so talented and I can't wait to see 
the trajectory of her career post flight attendant, because I do think that helped, you know, kind of pull her away from that association a little bit. There was also a lot of Louis Vuitton. We saw Regina King, Nicole Kidman, Kate Hudson, all of which I loved. I think if I had to choose my top out of the three would be Nicole Kidman, but I think that's also because I'm just in such a Nicole Kidman phase right now after the undoing. Totally agree. Totally agree. The men also look good. Sterling K. Brown, Justin Thoreau, Karamo. The guys were looking very sharp. Also, Eugene in that gray Dior. I know. Some people talk about Dan Levy. Some of us go straight to Eugene. <laughs> Two types of people in this world, Kim. <laughs> I was going straight for Eugene last night, and that's no shade to Dan. He looked incredible, but I, I think I was a little bit more blown away by, by Eugene. <laughs> Dan Levy just constantly blows me away, though, so I, I have to give it to both of them. Lastly, I mean, there were a million people to discuss, but Maria Bakalova and that Giorgio Armani gown with the diamond choker, oh, take my breath away. Em, I just couldn't be more happy that you just said that because I have not stopped thinking about it since I saw it last night. There were a lot of good ones. Now that we're going through it, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? There were a lot of good ones. And also I give people a lot of credit to get that dressed up and it takes that much process just to, for the most part, sit in their living room. I know they were going to do it, but for you and I who are hard pressed to even get dressed at all, to have to do that just to be in our living rooms, you know what? I give them a lot of credit. So much. I would have been straight up in sweatpants or I would have gone the other direction, gotten dressed up and had a full-fledged photo shoot as if... I was at the actual Golden Globes and not in my house. (laughs) Well, right. Because if you're going to do all that work, you may as well let it be known. I have so much respect for the celebrities who took one picture with their white back wall in the background and that's all they got. Because I would have had a location shoot. If I'm putting (laughs) that much effort in, I would have had a green screen, I think. I mean, it happened once a year. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of notable moments, of course, we are not going to cover everything. You guys all watched it, but... Let's just start out with potentially the most meme-worthy, which was Jason Sudeikis, because he wins for Ted Lasso. He's in this tie-dye sweatshirt, which people were kind of clowning him for, and then I think immediately felt bad once they found out that it was his sister's brand, and he was actually doing it to support her. He said this very sweet quote that said something like, you know, when it's your sibling and you know how hard they've worked, I don't view that as product placement. I just view that as supporting their work. But is this just me projecting and saying that I felt a sense of sadness. Is that accurate or is it me projecting that I feel I would be sad if my girlfriend, fiance, whatever, left me for Harry Styles? Um, possibly both, but there is something to me that's inherently sad about wearing a tie-dye sweatshirt on the Golden Globes, even if it is on a video screen, and then making your kid listen to you read Leo Tolstoy before bed every night. So yeah, I don't think you're necessarily projecting, but I guess we don't know exactly what's going on there. Okay. Thank you. for that. I just felt sad. I don't know. I, I guess I feel like the amount of conflicting stories that we've heard both in the news and then also internally about what's going on there with the whole Olivia Jason thing does not make me feel confident to sit here and be like, yeah, you know what? I think everything's, everything's perfect at home there. Cause I don't think so. I think that he's going through it. And it would be weird if he wasn't sad, right? Of course. Of course. Also Don Cheadle with the wrap it up. So funny. <laughs> The speeches were kind of long last night. Yeah, they were. Also, Norman Lear and Jane Fonda, both of them, really. That brought me such a sense of joy. You know the Carol Burnett ear touch gets me every single time, right? I know. Also, Chadwick Boseman winning from a Rainey's Black Bottom and his wife, Taylor Simone Ledward, giving that speech on his behalf was truly so touching. I know you and I were texting each other the whole time, but that was 
not only so emotional, but also what a portrayal of strength. Oh my God. Yeah. I was really just so in awe of her the entire time. I want to read this one line that she said, quote, he would say something beautiful, something inspiring, something that would amplify that little voice inside of all of us that tells you you can, that tells you to keep going, that calls you back to what you're meant to be doing at this moment in history. Wow. Yeah. That was very special. And I just, I know that she must have felt his presence very strongly in that moment to even be able to allow her to to do that, to find the voice to do that, because that's not an easy thing. Oh, yeah. Beyond, beyond difficult. I said it before, just so, so in awe of her strength. Chloe Zhao, who's the director of Nomadland, not only was she the first Asian woman to win for Best Director, but also she was the second woman ever to win, the first obviously being Barbara Streisand in 1984 for Yentl. Crazy. Can you believe we're still having firsts and seconds? No. It's like... It really hits you when when you see how, in writing just how how far we have to come. It's really crazy. It's 2021. How are we still having firsts and seconds? I know. Same with Andrew Day. She became the second Black person to win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. Of course, Whoopi Goldberg was the first for The Color Purple in 1986, which was 35 years ago. Crazy. It really is. Very, very deserved, but just really just crazy. And I Again, maybe this is just pure optimism, but I really am hopeful that things are changing. Yeah, me too. And both of those women are so unbelievably deserving, and I am so proud to witness those wins. It's really incredible. Me too. There was a lot that happened, but I mean, you guys watched it. You were there. Is there anything else that you want to mention? Um, I think that we can end with an amazing transition, which would be the crown one a lot last night, which will transition us into the thing that I'm most excited to talk about, which is Prince Harry on James Corden. I want you guys to know, Julie and I have not said one word to each other other than her initial freak out text because we wanted to save every moment of it for this podcast. And I feel so happy that we are finally here. I cannot wait to talk about this. Can I set the scene of what happened when I first saw it though? Of course. I was having, as you know, one of those nights where I could not for the life of me fall asleep. So I pick up my phone. I'm like, you know, I did that thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it down. I'm not going to pick it up. I'm going to see if I fall asleep. doesn't work, whatever. At around 3.30, I checked Twitter and it's all the hairy stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. I immediately go and watch it. It's like, 3.30, I'm completely alone. I have no one to talk about it with and I am freaking out and I am just sitting there being like, I cannot wait for them to wake up and watch this so I can talk about it. Isabel wakes up at probably like 8 a.m. and she's like, I am so sorry I left you alone for those five hours to have to deal with this alone because that was the greatest thing I've ever watched in my life. Yes, that was exactly what happened. I don't even really know where to start because it's not that I was surprised by Prince Harry's demeanor. He's always had this really kind of fun, almost whimsical attitude and things that we've seen. I mean, growing up, obviously we knew him as like the quote wild child, but just the environment of him being in jeans and a t-shirt on this tourist bus with James Corden in the middle of LA, it, it led for a far less formal conversation. I don't even want to use the word interview, a far less formal conversation. The way I feel about it is that I've always loved Prince Harry. I think I've like spoken about this before. Like I used to check out books from my elementary school library about Prince Harry and Prince William. Like I was, I was that like fourth grader. Um, 
But I don't think I ever fully understood the full scope of his personality because when you think about the royals and you think about the royal family, Harry still included, there is always an element of like stiffness and like kind of coldness that comes with that as you've observed. So you don't expect them to do things like this. And even when they're being kind of fun and silly, it's still in the scope of being a member of the royal family. So for me to watch him do this, it was like, it would have been one thing if he just did court. And like, to me, that still would have been crazy because it's like a member of the royal family doing this fun American talk show. Like that's, that's wild. It's late night television. But then for him to come on and be so charming, so funny, so with it, so understanding of everything that was going on, like James pulls up in the bus and and Prince Harry's like, oh, you didn't bring the Range Rover. And it's like, who told... Who told Prince Harry about carpool karaoke? Like there were so many elements to it where I could not believe it because it was just so great and so, so, so normal. Yeah. So when he said that line, I was thinking to myself like, wait a second, does Prince Harry get stoned and watch Miko's carpool karaoke as well? Because that would be wild. Stop. I can't have that visual in my head and like make it through the day. I know. I also just want to say that if you haven't watched this, I would highly recommend pausing this. It's only 20 minutes. Go watch it because- us talking about it is just not going to really do it justice. But when they're on this bus and they're kind of just talking, they get into, I guess, relatively deeper conversations. And James kind of asks him about the experience of walking away from the royal family. And Harry is quick to kind of kindly correct him and saying that he doesn't view it as walking away. And more so saying that he was doing what he needed to do for his mental health and what any father and any husband would have done because the British press was really just so toxic for him. And he kind of explained how his life is devoted to public service and he could do that wherever he is. But I felt it was interesting that he made that distinction because clearly he was making it not so much for the public, more so for himself. Well, What's really interesting about this whole thing is as fun as this interview was, there was the layer of it where everyone's kind of specifically, you know, the British public, everyone's kind of on the edge of their seats waiting for this Oprah interview to come out, which I believe comes out March 7th. And it's just going to be what is expected, this bombshell of an interview. And so everyone's kind of looking at that, waiting for that to come out. And then Harry comes on James Corden and kind of gives us a little glimpse of that that we weren't expecting. And everyone's like, oh my God, if he's going to say that, which isn't overly explosive, which isn't overly anything, but definitely more than he's given us thus far. If he's going to say that on Corden, I can't imagine what's going to come out in this Oprah interview. I know. It was kind of like the best pregame I could ever imagine. It was. I really am so, so excited for that Oprah interview. Yeah. We're going to have to do a big segment on that. I can't wait. Also, when he was talking about the crown and he was saying that he actually almost prefers that because it's very different than when it's happening in his real life and what the the press kind of does to him, which this is clearly no secret, but it hits harder when you hear him talk about it. Well, yeah, no, I don't don't think we've ever heard a member of the royal family even mention the crown before or talk about their personal feelings on it. So it is crazy. And what he was saying was he confirmed that there is an element of truth to it, which is which is pretty wild, but I think we all knew that. But also what he said was he prefers it because people are at least consuming it as entertainment value at the end of the day. It's not that they're consuming it as news and they're not taking it as news. They're taking it as entertainment that has hints of truth in it. And he was saying that the reason that when the media writes about him, it is so different than that is because 
people are consuming that as if it's absolute truth and none of it's true. Yeah, I think the point that he was kind of making was pretty much that the fact that the crown, while there are definitely elements of truth to it, it falls under the quote fiction umbrella and that in itself is comforting to him. Yes, and in the glimpse of the Oprah interview of the preview that was released, you hear him say, my biggest fear was history repeating itself. I know, I know. I mean, they are definitely scarred from that. Of course, how could they not be? Listen, I think there is obviously so many levels and so much depth to the royal family that we'll never be able to understand in terms of their own family and in terms of just the history and what it means to Britain and what it means in general as like a monarch. It's something that like as Americans will never be able to understand. But I think that our closest attempt at being able to understand that is through Harry, because I think that he is entirely unwilling to allow for the history of the family putting the monarch above the safety of each other to happen again. And that's what you're seeing. So you know what? At the end of the day, good for fucking him. He did what he needed to do. He did what he needed to do for his family. And I have absolutely nothing but respect for that and admiration for that. Oh, I feel the same way. It's not an easy decision. And I agree with you that he's the best one because he's unwilling, but also because I know this is like a very kind of simple element, but because of his communication style, he's able to talk about it in a way where it doesn't feel condescending. He has this way to make it far more conversational and almost, this is like the weirdest thing I'll ever say, but almost relatable, even though it's not something any of us can relate to. I think there's a softness and a humanity to him that we don't ever get to see from somebody of that caliber. So yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that was the thing that really struck me the most about Corden was how fucking normal he was when they go to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air house. And first of all, he knows the theme song and they open the door. He's chatting and he's like, I just have to go to the bathroom. Like, what? Prince Harry is peeing in someone else's home that happens to be the Fresh Prince home. That is so crazy to me. I was losing it. And again, just to go back to the audience pan for a second, all I wanted in that moment was like a little box of Will Smith watching that go down. Right. Oh, wow. It was really... And then forget it. When we get to the end and he's doing that obstacle course, done. Like literally I'm dead. No, but but even before then when they FaceTime Megan and she obviously looks stunning and then she calls him Taz, I was like, I have never been a royal stan. It has never been my thing. It wasn't until last year when they started leaving that I kind of started to get into it. But I got like hot and bothered by that. I'm so sorry that I almost skipped over that FaceTime because by the way, as if I didn't hate FaceTiming enough again, I will never answer another FaceTime again. Yeah. She's like windblown gorgeous goddess. And I'm like watching that in my bed with like mascara down my face. It was just, yeah, the, the contrast was pretty stark, but the has, who knew that that was her name? Like, why do I care so much? But I do. The queen getting Archie a waffle maker? <laughs> what? <laughs> His first word being crocodile. And by the way, when he was like, yeah, my grandmother, I'm like, who the fuck are you talking about? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, that really took me a minute. The memes of her like on Amazon were so funny. So funny. There was so much there. It was it was really perfect. And like no one better than James Corden to do that with. The only thing I think that would have somewhat compared to it for me is if he had done a day drinking with Seth Meyers. Although as much as I love Prince Harry, after the Rihanna one, it's hard to top another day drinking Seth Meyers. 
that is probably one of the like best moments of television I've ever watched. Both those things and Migos Carpool Karaoke is really up there in terms of best things that I've ever seen come across my screen. I also just want to say that I was never so into Prince Harry as like from a looks perspective. I know he was kind of like the heartthrob and stuff and I was never on board. But watching him seamlessly, almost too effortlessly climb through that mud and climb up that thing, I uh, it was all coming back to me. Are you kidding? I had to make a TikTok about it. Yeah. Oh, shameless plug. We're starting to post more on the Comments by Celebs TikTok handle, not just comment stuff. So check it out. Obviously not us, but like Julie's really been experimenting with it. I think I'm starting to get the hang of it, but it is not the easiest app. So I really commend the fact that this generation is using it as their main form of social media. Like when we were growing up, all we had to do was like take one picture and post it or tweet one thing and post that. This is like a real process. Well. I, it's actually funny. I, I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but I want to talk about it for a second. I feel like when we talk about TikTok, and we specifically were speaking about this a lot when we had Simon on, we were talking about how it's a totally different type of content creation versus Instagram or versus other social platforms because we've seen for a very long time now, Instagram, the amount of work that goes into getting that one picture. And there's this aura of like, perfection that wants to be communicated. And the reason that TikTok has been working so well is because people just go on however they look and do a quick video and upload it. And it feels a lot less curated, but it's interesting because on one hand, it's so much simpler yet. On the other hand, the actual technicalities of it, not the process of what they're doing, but like the actual video making process is I think more tedious. Do you know what I mean? It has both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, much more. Listen, I think that TikTok is the most interesting thing to study. It gives me the exact same energy as when we're like, I could do a class on the Kardashians because even though there have been things before it that are you can compare it to, it is just another level. The influence that TikTok has is incomparable to anything I have ever seen in my life. One person posts something, it goes viral, and it is sold out in stores all over. That's the thing. It really hit Julie and I in the face a few weeks ago when we were in Sephora, and I went in to get like this Becca under eye concealer or something, and the woman said to me like TikTok. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, we, we can't keep this in fast enough. And I think what's happening is that a lot of the videos themselves, when people are talking about products, aren't sponsored because they're getting money just from the creator fund. So it feels more authentic because it's not a brand deal. A lot are brand deals, but a lot they're not. They're really just reviewing their makeup and they're getting paid for the video regardless. So I think that the way that it's monetized leads to more authenticity because the app itself is paying. I mean, Finland ran out of feta cheese. I, I was thinking, actually, I, I wanted to say this to you separately, but I may as well say it now. And I don't know if we'll definitely do this, but it was an idea that I had. In between Courtney and Chloe Take Miami and the third season, which I know is Chloe and Lamar's wedding, I was thinking maybe we could do a bonus episode instead of the Kardashian recap that week about TikTok. Not like the explanation, but maybe we went through like our top 10 creators at the moment, talked about them, talked about the videos and some general thoughts. Because I just, I don't know, I want to talk about it more. Yeah, I do too. I I think that's a really good idea. I think we have to Yeah, let's we'll just we'll discuss offline, kid. Okay. I'm glad you're open to it. Anything else you want to mention from Prince Harry? No, I'm just so goddamn happy that happened. Me too. I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out cuz You know, when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear. And it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still 
to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out. But one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So the way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings onto us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Before we move on to the Billie Eilish documentary, just in the sake of transparency, I want to tell you guys, we now have the feature where we can pause the episode and we have now paused it three times. The first, when we saw that Alec and Hilaria Baldwin had another kid. The second, when Haley posted for Justin's birthday. And the third, when Kim just posted Saint. And the fourth, when Julie realized that Alabama Barker was 15. And actually, now that I'm talking about it, there was a fifth time when we saw that E! News report come in that someone crashed into the gates of Kim Kardashian's house claiming that she was his wife. The pause button's too convenient for us. It's really too convenient. There's so many things happening. I am. Of all of the things that we just had a pause for, the fact that I'm able to still record this podcast after seeing a video of Justin feeding the baby... Give me my Golden Globe. Give me my Oscar because you know what? That shit is not easy, okay? It's too much. I said to Julia, I was like, I know between the two of us, you're definitely more of like the fan of his. I I am too, but I would never try to compete with Julie's. But when I saw that video, a chill just went up my spine. I feel like makeup in general and specifically a daily makeup routine is so personal and that We've all kind of gotten down to a science, what works for us, what we need before we leave the house, like where do we feel our most comfortable? And for me on a daily basis, I wear really, really minimal makeup. I actually think I feel the most comfortable with the least amount of makeup, but my two Holy Grail products always have been, I think always will be are mascara and lip gloss, maybe a little highlight on the inner corner if I'm feeling crazy. But honestly, whether you are fresh face, full glam, wherever you fall, you have probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. It's the one in that turquoise tube that you see all over social media. So Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. They have a lot of great products, but the one I want to focus on is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. First of all, it lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, which I'm telling you right now, I have a zero tolerance policy for flaking with my mascara. Like I'm just not trying to put you on my lashes if you're going to flake. And they have a flake-free tubing formula that dramatically lengthens and defines your lashes from root to tip. So it kind of looks like lash extensions without the damaging glue or salon prices. Also super easy removal, slides right off with warm water and a washcloth, no soap required. And it has nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's just like very much worth the hype. I had seen it a lot and 
once I tried it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I see it everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 20% off your first order. We are now moving on to the Billie Eilish documentary called The World's a Little Blurry. It was directed by RJ Cutler and it was on Apple+. Plus. I don't know how many of you have seen it because one, I don't know how many people have Apple+, Plus and also it was a roughly two and a half hour commitment. So we'll do a good job kind of talking about it, but you and I haven't spoke about it yet. And I just want to tell you, Julie, I'm really glad that you, not convinced me I was going to watch it, but that you kind of put this on my radar because I really am glad that I, that I witnessed this. I'm really glad you did too, because I think you've always liked Billie Eilish. Well, in terms of like relatively recently, because her career is so new, but I think you have really liked her. I think you've appreciated her talent, but I think that her story is really special. And there's something really emotional about watching her grow up. And because you kind of jumped on after the album came out, which is not your fault. Most people did. You kind of missed that pre-era. And I think this documentary gives you a really good understanding of that trajectory and helps you understand her better. Yeah. I was the first one to say it. I remember saying on the podcast like a while ago, I said, I beyond respect her talent. She's clearly a musical genius. I know that it's a me thing and not a her thing. I just don't get it. That was always my stance. Like I so get why people are into it. It's just I don't think I'm there yet. I, I was missing something and I had gotten it previously to this documentary, but this really seals it all up for me. And I have, I'm not going to say a whole new appreciation, but I have a better understanding and I'm really glad that I watched this. Yeah. I think there are certain documentaries about people or musicians where you watch it and you're like, oh my God, I have a whole new appreciation. I never knew. I don't think this is one of those. I think it's something where you watch and you're like, what an emotional ride to be on with somebody. Like you feel very much a part of it and it makes you appreciate it more because you feel like you really have a, a place in it almost. Yeah. Different than, for example, I know she's not a musician, but Paris Hilton. Right. A hundred percent. Perfect example. Yeah. So the documentary really follows her rise to fame and mainly the making of her album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Because as you know, her brother Phineas is kind of her musical partner in all of this. And they grew up in this two bedroom home in Highland Park, LA. And you really are witnessing being in the room with them when they're making these songs and when they're creating the music. And aside from anything else, we all knew how close her and Phineas were and are, but really getting to see this, one, the musical process, but also just the way that they lean on each other. And honestly, the way that she leans on him, it it very much deepens your understanding of their bond. Yeah. She is so lucky to have the family that she does. Truly, they they really are so integral in not only her career and helping her get there, but helping her stay grounded and like true to who she is. That was probably like the most rewarding part of the whole documentary was just seeing the way that her family functions all together and the role they all play in each other's lives, not just in her life. It was really very special. It was. It was, you know, she's been homeschooled her whole life and her parents clearly, I mean, and she said it, her whole family really is her foundation. And you're right. It's not just how they are towards her, how they are towards each other. There's this real unconditional love and the support that is, I just think kind of this underlying factor to every single thing that she does. And I think she says like, 
it's the reason that she's been able to do any of this because even in the craziness of the world, no matter what was going on, she always had this place to kind of come home to, both physically and also metaphorically. And her mom talks about that at one point where she's talking about Justin Bieber, and we'll get into that in a little, but her mom is like crying, thinking about Justin Bieber and how young he is and how much he's gone through, because obviously there are so many parallels you can draw there. And she was saying like, and I don't think she was talking specifically about him here. I think she was talking just in general, like, I don't know how people do this without having parents who are just constantly there at such a young age to have somebody looking out for you who loves you more than life itself, because no matter how loving your team is and how great they are. And she says that she says, Billy has an amazing team. I think they would do anything for, her. I think they love her more than life itself, but they don't love her the way a parent can love a child. And she's like, I don't understand how people are able to be in this industry without having that constantly there with them. And the way that her mom said that, and you saw how emotional she got when she was talking, you're right, not about Justin, but kind of using him as an example. We talk about that all the time. How many times have we discussed a celebrity and really just either felt a sense of empathy or felt a sense of happiness for them for either having or not having that foundation? Because you don't control that. It's either you have it or you don't, and nothing that they do as children contributes to whether or not that foundation exists. And so in Billy's case specifically, it was just so evident how much that has allowed her to kind of thrive. Yeah. Also, something with Billy that's interesting in terms of family dynamic and her rise to fame is I think her family always intended for her to take this path in life, not to the, quite this extent. I don't think anybody suspected that. But in terms of just music and creative, just being able to express herself in that way, I think they kind of set her up with that her whole life, starting at being homeschooled and starting, you know, she talks a lot about how her family, they there was never a limit on how much music they can play. There was always music around. Her dad was always playing the piano. They were always writing songs together. Like, And I think what happened was even with all of that, her fame was still kind of an accident. The way it happened was she, you know, Phineas wrote Ocean Eyes and had Billy sing it. And that went viral almost overnight and it blew up. And it was this trajectory of fame that happened kind of by accident. And I think it's a very different type of fame to watch versus somebody who's constantly grinding and working hard and, and knows exactly what they want. And I think that you see this almost imposter syndrome happen with Billy, where because it was an accident, she can't believe any of this is happening to her still. No matter how hard she's working, no matter how much time she's spending on this album, it's still crazy to her because she's sitting in her childhood bedroom with her brother making an album that is eventually going to go on to win five Grammys and her be the youngest and only the second person ever to win the four major Grammys in one single night. Yes. And I will say watching this after obviously having watched that Grammys, because you and I spoke about how you can just tell when the sense of humility is really authentic. And I remember we said she was in disbelief and it wasn't this performative disbelief. She really was in full-blown disbelief. And so seeing her entire just demeanor of this, in this documentary when little things or quote little things would happen and then having the knowledge of how she reacted when winning those Grammys, it was a very cool thing to almost have that in your back pocket because you knew it before she did at the time. Exactly. And you're right. It is funny like watching her kind of, not funny watching her struggle with the fame, but almost like you want to shake her a little and be like, this is real. Like this is it. And you want to shake her out of like, 
she gets so down on herself. Like when she's writing the album, she's like, this stinks. Like, I hate it. It's so bad. I don't want to sing it. And you're sitting here in like disbelief being like, I know what's going to happen once you release this album. I know how big it's going to get. That album would go on to be one of the most famous albums of this decade, most awarded albums of this decade. So it's really, really so crazy to just be like be on that ride with her, even though it was obviously in retrospect. Yes. And I do think the imposter syndrome is very real. That was my my first takeaway as I was watching it. And I also want to get into a conversation, which I don't know. I don't know. You kind of had to really watch this to understand what I mean. But the way that Billy handles, I think, a lot of the events that are thrown at her and kind of the fame is she's very emotional, which I obviously understand and relate to. And you see at times, it's not that she portrays that whatever's going on in her mind, the anxiety or the fear or the nerves to her audience or to the people that she's meeting, but you see that it really does go on behind the scenes. And something that really struck me was she's incredibly sensitive to public feedback, which is very normal, right? Like she she said it, she had said something when she was talking about the album, like even one person not liking the album or even one person not liking the performance would have really broke her. And what I was thinking as when I was watching this was I personally, like me, myself, was so glad that she was showing the quote, not glamorous moments of fame and the times when she was really frustrated by it all. And to me, not for a quarter of a second did any of it come across as ungrateful. To me, it came across as just very, very authentic and a very true experience of what this ride is, because I don't think any of us could even try to put ourselves in those shoes. However, I did have this moment of fear knowing how sensitive she is to criticism that like, if you're not somebody who, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I'm going to use the generational term. Like I think our generation and younger is a lot more sensitive to mental health, but I think some of the older generation could have watched this. And, and again, this is not a logic that I stand by, but like have this almost false or flawed view of it of like, well, she's just ungrateful. She doesn't really get it. Like she's kind of being a brat. And I don't feel that way, but I could see somebody making that assumption based on watching it. And I was feeling a little bit of fear for her that like, I would never want her to hear that feedback. Does that make any sense what I was just trying to communicate? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. With the older, you know, older than us, I'm not going to say older generation, but older than us, I think what happens a lot of times is with Billy, you always hear like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get her. I just don't get it. And if you don't get her and you don't understand her, then yeah, it's really easy to take a lot of the things she does as a negative. But when you really understand her and look at her and hear her lyrics and listen to her interviews and listen to her speak, like there's so much um, stuff that she's struggling with that I think for us, like you said, like being so much more aware of mental health, but also so much more understanding and so much more relating to it. That's what people love about her. Obviously, Ocean Eyes went viral because it was such an incredible song and her music does so well because she's so, so incredibly talented. But the reason she has this diehard, devoted fan base is because they relate to her on a level that I don't think many other musicians, if any other you know, musicians or artists of this time, really can relate to Gen Z and relate to, you know, the younger generation the way Billy can. And I think you see that a lot. And she's very fortunate in that way because the toughest and the loudest critics, I think, are the people that are younger and therefore 
because they get her, she, I think there is a certain amount of that she does get to avoid. Obviously, not all of it. You'll always have people saying negative things. I think she says this in the documentary, and it's so true. The more famous you get, the more negative it's going to be. Her real core fan base, which is so, so many people, like an unfathomable amount of people, are so ride or die for her and so understand her that the things she does and the things she said are so deeply understood that they don't get as misconstrued as you would think. Yes. I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And, and that's a benefit of, of the type of audience. It's, it, fame is just a really scary thing. And I think the combination of fame and then the expectations that she put on herself, which are, I would say, almost unreachable, can be a very terrifying combination. Because you see Phineas say to her, like, they're going to love anything that you are going to put out. They're going to love when she's, you know, I think it was for Coachella or her performance. And she's so nervous about it. And she so feels like she's not giving them what she wants because she has a lot of, her body has a lot of um, things that, you know, are making it challenging for her. She has shin splints and she has a lot of like physical ailments in her body that make the performances harder because her performances really are so taxing on her joints and stuff. And so she's holding herself to this like almost impossible standard. And Phineas is saying like, they love you. They love what you are going to put out. And getting her to really internalize that is not an easy thing, but you have to have people around you that like are not going to get exhausted from communicating that message. And there are nobody that's going to, that's not going to burn out from that than your parents and your brother. I mean, they love you on a level that is almost incomprehensible. And that's why the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, thank God for this family she has. Thank God for this base she has. Cause I don't know how she would be doing this just mentally and physically without them. I, I couldn't even imagine. And I think the best example of what you were just saying was her Coachella performance where from our end, we heard about that Coachella performance. It was so highly praised. And the part where she forgets lyrics to her songs and she's like, what the fuck are the words to these? Like, that was something that people were so like, oh my God, look how great Billy is. Like she can so laugh at herself. She's so normal. She's so funny. What a funny moment in her show that she forgot her songs. But you see her during the documentary after the show, just absolutely like drilling herself for that mistake that she was so praised for. It's such a perfect example because it really just goes to show forgetting about fame. Every single person in the world is harder on themselves than other people are on them. We just are. We're our own worst critics. And something that was, I think, perceived of the audience as such a human moment was something that she was so critical of herself for. It's so crazy how that happens. I guess we can talk about Coachella now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I want to, we can talk about her boyfriend after because I have a lot to say there, but let's talk about the Justin element of it all. Okay. First of all, if you haven't watched it or you didn't watch it, I think it's really important to understand like the way Billy feels about Justin in general. We're like, that was her number one growing up. And she speaks about this at like a lot of points throughout the documentary leading up to this one moment where she's saying that, you know, her parents thought they were going to have to take her to therapy because all she did was like sob and cry over Justin. She spent so much time listening to his music and crying over his music. She was so in love with him that, you know, she showed this video of her when she was probably like 10 or 11 years old saying like, I don't know what I'm gonna do because I'm scared. I'm never going to love anybody the way I love Justin Bieber. Before you continue, I felt that in the deepest level of my soul, not necessarily with Justin. I feel like you may resonate more with Justin, but just that sentiment to hear somebody so famous saying that about somebody else that is now their peer. She was dead serious. Just to really make it clear for anybody who didn't watch this, 
She was saying that with a zero sort of comedic twing to it. She was saying that to say like, I need you guys to understand the level of my obsession. She was dead serious looking at that camera at 12 years old saying, I don't know, I just stay up at night sometimes because I don't think I can ever love my husband in the way that I love Justin. And by the way, like that is exactly how I felt at the time. That's how I feel now. That is exactly <laughs> how I felt at the time where like I I remember it. I went to the first show of his first ever tour and I sobbed. Like I I like being in his presence just sobbed about it. And like I so understood what she was saying. But anytime she's in an interview asked about like her musical inspirations or asked about who she really loved growing up or what musician she looks up to, she'll always say Justin. So you watch her, you know, the documentary kind of lead to this moment where first he DMs her and says like, I'm a really big fan. I want to jump on your album. And she's like, oh my God, the album's coming out in three days. Like, what do I say to him? And they kind of navigate saying like, you can jump on a remix of Bad Guy. The album's going to be out soon. She's like, and I think she responds to him saying like, you could literally come on a song and say poop and that would be it. And I would, it, it would be an honor. And so you then have this moment where she's at Coachella and they're like, you know, Justin's going to be there. And we saw this video, it went so viral because everyone knew this about her, but they finally meet and she's standing there and looking at him and she like, can't approach him. And he's staring at her and it takes like a minute for him. And she like, goes into his arms and she's just sobbing. And he is so sweet to her. She is, so he, she is sobbing in his arms and he's like cradling her head, holding her while she's crying. And she says afterwards, she's like, every time I would start to like sob more, I would just like feel him squeeze me. And it was just, I was, I lost it. I really was crying. It was very, very emotional because you really did see the, the, the transition and how this happened and how she went from him being her idol to all of a sudden him being a fan. And when she was talking with her management and they were kind of like coaching her through what to say back to him, you know, like, oh, well, maybe you can jump on this track. She was like, I don't feel comfortable saying any of that. Like, you're now telling me that I'm going to tell Justin Bieber that like, yeah, maybe I could be down with him coming on one of my tracks. Like she could not wrap her mind around it. So then that moment, it was so real. It took her a minute to even hug him because I think her whole body kind of went numb. And when she's just in his arms and he sends her that, that message after where, should I read it? Duh. Okay. He sends her this DM after and he says, it's moments like tonight where I'm reminded what I mean to people. Your love for me touched my heart. You're so special and not for what you can do, but for who you are. Remember that. I'm so impressed by your aura and presence. You carry a heavy calling. You're an idol to so many. I'm excited to watch you flourish. You're beyond special. Thank you for tonight. It meant just as much to me as it meant to you. I also want to let you know that it feels like yesterday that I was 15 singing one time and now I'm 25. That was 10 years ago. It flew by like a flash. Enjoy every minute of what you're experiencing. Embrace it all. Believe you are great, but not greater than anyone. I'm like scared I'm going to cry again. Even if you are not a Justin Bieber fan, you don't have to be a fan because it was way more about her than it was about him. It was entirely about her because it was this, well, it wasn't about him to an extent, but in the moment it was so about her because it was this level of validation that I don't think any of us will ever be able to comprehend because I think it is very rare where you have somebody you look up to so much and their craft is also your craft. And then they go from being this unreachable, untouchable person to being somebody who is not only now a fan of yours, somebody who admires your work so much that they want, they're asking you to be on their, on, you know, your album, 
it's very different than just like meeting your hero. It's validation from your hero, which I think very few people ever in their lives get. And it was just an incredible, incredible moment to watch. But also just quickly touching on the Justin element, like you have to remember where Justin was at this time. When he came out, you know, on stage at Coachella with Ariana, like I think he was still very unsure of what his career was going to look like in terms of this comeback. And I think there was something about Billie Eilish being this undevoted fan from the time that he was 15 singing one time, never let go of that. It only got stronger. And for him to be able to see like the impact that he's able to have, I think that she really played a huge role in him being able to fully make this comeback happen. I'm so glad you said that because what the point that I was going to make is watching this, having watched the Justin documentary, I feel like very fortunate that I was able to see both sides of this happening because we saw what was going on in his mental state at this moment. He was not feeling sure of himself. This was this performance was what made him realize that he really wanted to go full force and do this comeback, but he was not feeling that same level of assurance. And so I don't think he was bullshitting her when he said it meant just as much to you as it did to me. He needed this. And so I can't believe we kind of got both sides of the coin. Like, no, in his documentary, there wasn't a whole point about Billy and that wasn't the focus or anything, but we did see where he was coming from. And so I think you are spot on in the analysis that seeing that level of dedication and care and admiration of his craft from somebody that was now on the rise to becoming as famous as he was definitely really resonated. And you have to remember in his Zane Lowe interview, he cries about her and he cries about this need to protect her and this like overwhelming, you know, protection that he feels over her because not only is she a fan and she he feels it in that way, but he knows exactly what it's like. Their trajectory is so similar. They both went viral. They both got discovered that way. They're both incredibly young and they're both experiencing influx of fame that is incomparable to most people their age. And that's the other term of validation. It's not just you're being validated, you're being compared. And that is really, really something incredible. It's It was unbelievable. I, it was such a good watch. I really do have a whole other, not appreciation, I just have a better understanding. And the last thing that I quickly want to mention, and I feel like I can't get too much into it because I don't really have a great understanding, but we were kind of introduced to her boyfriend or what seemingly was her boyfriend. And I think it was intentionally not explained that well, but it was this guy, Brandon Quentin Adam. She called him Q. They, bro- they broke up around June of 2019. He was five years older than her at the time, which I think was a pretty big age difference for how old she was. I and mean, she was obviously under 18, but I don't know. It's I was watching this with Carly and we're watching these scenes go on and on and we're watching basically her really loving him, being very devoted to him. And again, only what we saw in this documentary was pretty much him not really giving her the time of day or acting as if one, her time wasn't valuable and two, kind of like, I don't want to use the word that she was disposable, but there did not seem to be the same level of reciprocation. And at one point, Carly turned to me and was like, is it just me or is this guy acting like a total dick? And I was like, I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, where is the level of appreciation for her as a human being? Because she was gushing over him and it seemed to be totally lacking. Yeah, it was hard to watch. It was just so uncomfortable and weird. And like, she deserves so, so, so much better than that. Not because she's Billie Eilish, because she's a person and a human being. And like, he was 
yeah, he was treating her like she was disposable. I don't know. I did read somewhere because I went to go stalk his Instagram and he doesn't have one. And somebody said they weren't sure they think he had one at one point because he used to post her and they think that he had deleted it in anticipation of this coming out. That's interesting. I mean, of course, I would hate for him to get hate, but that's just what the internet does. And I think she would never want him to get hate either. Yeah, it, it was. You kind of have to watch it to see what to see what we mean. But if you watch it, I'm sure you'll know it. It was this very weird thing where, like, all she wanted was a little bit of attention from him from the guy that she was seeing. I mean, it wasn't like he was just some guy that she had a crush on. They seemed to be at least somewhat together. And even like before her big moments or after her big moments, he wasn't really giving her that. It was very hard to watch and. I'm glad that they're no longer together. Clearly it wasn't serving either of them. Yeah. I think the moment where it really hit me, I think I thought it was weird the whole documentary, but the one moment where I was like, okay, what the fuck is going on here was at Coachella when she's talking to him on the phone and she's on her way there. And she's like, I got you a ticket. And like the condition is that you have to see me. Like you have to spend time with me. And it was like, what? You deserve somebody who's like begging you to be able to come just to be able to like be in your presence on that day that's as big as you. Not like you have to see me if you're going to come to this concert. That's exactly how I felt. At least try to watch that scene if you guys can because you'll see what we mean by that. Can I tell you what my underrated favorite part of the documentary was? Obviously. Watching her dad's beard grow slowly in the background. (laughs) Yes. Her her parents were great. Her dad especially. They were just great people. They're the sweetest. She is – I know I've said it a million times throughout this, but she is just very lucky to have that support system. I think a lot of people her age in this industry don't. I think you see a lot of people who get famous at a young age because unfortunately their parents kind of see them as cash cows and throw them into the industry because of that. And that was not the case here. And she's just very, very lucky to have a family just – that loves her more than life itself. Completely. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you, or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. So if you guys remember last week, one of the things that we had left you with was just saying that both of us really cannot think of somebody that Kim would date next. And we were kind of just wondering If anybody has a good idea, we'd love you to send us your ideas via DM. I also just want to mention, like, clearly we recognize that she's newly single and I highly doubt that dating is at all in the forefront of her mind. Like, of course, we're giving her time to like heal and deal with that. It's just a fun thing to think about, but there's no urgency, which is a side note. So I would say the overwhelming majority of messages were saying that people agree with us. They cannot think of someone. 
we got a couple of people saying they can't think of someone in specific, but they definitely think it's going to be like an Alexis Ohanian type of vibe, meaning somebody that's kind of fame adjacent and very, very wealthy, very well respected in their own field, maybe technology, uh, maybe something like that. We got some people that agreed with Julie about the Brad Pitt situation and could see it. Other people that were completely mortified by even the thought of it. We got probably 10 or so mentions about Jamie Foxx. And we got a lot of people saying they think somebody that's kind of like the male version of Amal Clooney. One, potentially from the legal background, because as we know, that's something that Kim is pursuing, but also just somebody that's highly intelligent and kind of a force to be reckoned with within their own field. But aside from that, we didn't get that many individual celebrity suggestions because most people agree that it's not just going to be your run-of-the-mill celebrity. I can't wait to see who it is. I do agree mostly with the Amal Clooney school of thought. I think that's the thing that I can envision the most. Brad Pitt for me, I don't see it as being like her next great love. I don't see her as like marrying him or them having this crazy relationship, but I could just envision it and it being just the craziest thing ever if it ever happened. Like I could see them matching in terms of star level and in terms of like, I can't think of something that would just blow me away more. I I can't even like validate that with any sort of reality because it just blows my mind. Like I can't, my mind is not big enough to comprehend that. I get it. I so get it. Yeah, that would be wild. Also, wasn't there rumors a while ago about him and Courtney? Well, he came to Sunday service. So He's, I don't know. He seems to be friendly with Kanye. Not that, again, I don't even want to go into this because I don't, I'm not putting it in terms of reality, but just hypothetically for 30 seconds. He does seem to be friendly with Kanye and kind of friendly with the family. Which is part of the reason where it seems a little less abstract than a lot of people think it would be. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that much. A lot of people were saying kind of like the an equivalent to A-Rod. They also could see obviously not A-Rod, but something like that where former athlete, you know, huge star and now kind of business mogul. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just, I can't wait to see. I think that none of us are going to be right. I mean, I guess because we're speaking so generally about the type of person it could be, we we would be right. But in terms of picking individual people, I don't think any of us are going to be. I think so too. Okay. This other extended cut that was released from the Keeping Up trailer, we had seen, and we talked about it last week when Scott said in that like, three second preview, you know, I would marry you right now. And we were talking about it in the terms of Courtney. And I know a lot of people were saying to us like, don't you think this is clickbait? And I kind of did think it was clickbait, but I also was like, I don't care. I'd rather just go with the clickbait because it's giving me a sense of joy. So when I saw the extended cut and I realized this was not clickbait and he was actually saying that, and they were actually having a serious conversation about getting back together. And he was telling the family like, court knows we're going to end up together. I was not doing well. I could not. First of all, I didn't think it was clickbait in the sense that I could hear in his voice how serious he was when he said, I'll marry you right now. And so I was like, I know that it's not like all joking. It's not going to be some stupid clickbait, like prank on Kris Jenner thing, but I did not expect it to be as serious as it was. And the way it started was like the family kind of encouraging it and Kim being like, when are you guys like, let's end season 20 with you guys getting married. And Chris is like, when are you going to make an honest woman out of my daughter? And they're kind of joking, but Scott's like, I will marry you right now. Like, you know that I will, we will end up together. And Corey in the background going, oh my God, he's saying some serious stuff. 
is just, I could not believe it. And then at the end, at the fucking end, when Courtney goes, says something about him working on himself, like maybe if you work on yourself and we're all like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Because in our mind, he has been working on himself for so many years to get back with her. Although let's just keep it fair here. Potentially some of his recent behavior with like the whole dating a 19 year old thing. I know this was shot before, but some other things could have transpired that weren't Amelia related could have made her say that. Yes, but I think it was an unfair wording. I think had she said, like, there's still some things you need to work on, fine. Let's have that conversation. But to say you need to work on yourself is so unfair. He has done nothing but work on himself. Yeah. I mean, we obviously don't know the ins and outs, but yes, I I generally agree. I was just – that was a crushing moment. That was – I could not believe that full clip. Also, I'm, like, scared because I think they're giving us, like – I feel like they're giving us all the best stuff. Like, stop giving me the stuff that's going to ruin it. I want to enjoy it in the moment and be shocked in the moment. Well, you normally don't watch the previews. You're right. And now I have to. I know. You have to. I I kind of love that you have to. I don't. I really – which is weird because I hate surprises, but I need an element of surprise in what I'm watching. Well, I think it's because we're savoring all of this. It's the last time. I know. I also just want to say that I know not everybody that listens to this episode listens to our Kardashian bonus shows, but last Wednesday, we were recapping this episode from Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, and it randomly got so deep. And like the amount of messages and things that we got from people being like, thank you for that episode. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really needed to hear that because we were kind of just like, our inner feminist really came out and we were kind of just talking about like misogyny and how much of underlying stuff there is. So I would recommend listening to that, even if you're not a huge Kardashian bonus show person, just because I, I actually genuinely felt empowered at the end of it. And I feel like other people responded in that way too. So I kind of just wanted to flag that. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> this is so minor, but I have to talk about it. Kim's story on her way back from Palm Springs, listening to driver's license. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> like I was, I couldn't believe it was real life. I don't know what she meant by that, but like she did include like um, like a couple of heart emojis and knife emojis. So I don't know like if that was intentional or if she just really likes the song, but it so came off as like angsty teenager after a breakup that it just made me laugh. The situation's not funny. I'm so sad for her. Like truly my heart breaks for her that her and Kanye just couldn't make it work. Even if you think they should have gotten divorced, even if you agree with the divorce, I think it's still heartbreaking to like, watch somebody have something and and just try with all of their heart to make it work and it just can't it's not funny but the idea of kim getting over a breakup by listening to driver's license is never gonna not be funny like that was not on olivia rodrigo's bingo card (laughs) no no it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah um anything else kardashian wise that you wanted to mention yes the only other thing i wanted to mention was It's so interesting watching Travis Barker's daughter, Alabama, uh, post about Courtney and comment on her stuff because she seems to really have such a connection to her. And I think that just adds this element of seriousness to the relationship, which we had been speaking about. But the validation from from his daughter to really embrace Courtney, I know they've known each other for a while and she's probably liked her for a very long time because of the family element and the friend element. But to take it to that next level where like she's posting Courtney on her story and she's commenting on Courtney's pictures is just really sweet. Yes, I I agree. And I also, 
I know you all saw Amelia's story from last night with the picture of Scott in Miami and the caption, my dream man. Um, I don't, I can't, I, I have nothing to say that is going to add any benefit. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Let's just leave it at that. It's just, cause I feel like there's nothing that I can say that doesn't sound like it's something against Amelia. And that's just like, so not the case. It's just the general, I, I'm so sorry. I can't wrap my head around the relationship. I know. I know. Me either. Even when you like both individual parties. And the last thing I want to say was in uh, Kylie's video with Courtney when she was doing her makeup, not that there was anything revolutionary there, but when Courtney was talking about Poosh and this article about edging and Kylie didn't know what edging was, I just like loved that moment for some reason. I, I mean, I know why you love that moment. That moment had you written all over it. <laughs> but also, I do think that Courtney's a very sexual person. She is, which is amazing. It is. Oh my God. It's amazing. I obviously love it, but I'm just saying like, I, I feel like from what we know, her approach to sex almost feels a little bit different than some of the other ones. I think she didn't have the same approach to sex until she looked at it in terms of self-care. Yes. That is exactly it. I feel like hers is more from the inside out. Cause she also, it's not just sex. It's also like masturbation and things like that. I think she is a, um, a more of like a health and wellness approach to it in a way. Yes. It's very Gwyneth of her. Very. Anything else you would like to mention? I think that's it. I got to go watch Justin Bieber feed a baby on a loop for the next eight hours. <laughs> okay. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you on Wednesday. And Isabel and I will see you on Friday for our Bravo show. We love you. 